Thank you, Chloe. That was absolutely beautiful. All the singing. Thank you, Pastor Jason, musicians, everyone. What a wonderful celebration of Easter. We turn now to chapter 20. If you have your Bibles with you, turn there with me. Chapter 20 of the book of John. We're going through the book of John verse by verse, but we jumped ahead for, uh, for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. So we're in chapter 20. We'll be back in chapter 5 next week. Chapter 20 is one of those glorious resurrection chapters and uh, written, of course, by John. He's in his 90s, maybe 95 when he writes this epistle. The other Gospels were written about 30 years earlier. And uh, it's been about 60 years since the cross and the resurrection when John writes his Gospel. And uh, he, writes, he writes with the purpose of sharing with us some things that maybe the other three did not detail and uh, it is a beautiful beautiful gospel well let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 20 the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for loving us and not only giving Christ for us on the cross, thank you for giving him to us in our hearts. We give you great praise. Lord Jesus, we celebrate your resurrection today. Manifest yourself to us, you, the risen Christ, here in this place and in the homes of the people who are watching. Manifest yourself. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Some years ago, a, a pastor by the name of Laos Ordos, who lived in Hungary during the time of communism there, he was arrested. The first time he spent two years in prison just for being a Christian, for preaching the gospel. Then... He was released, and later he was in prison again, this time for six years. And during those six years, often he was in solitary confinement in this cruel prison. And he writes this, and I'm quoting now. They placed me in solitary confinement. It was a tiny cell, perhaps six feet by eight feet with no windows and it was soundproof they hoped to break down my resistance by isolating me from all sensory perception they thought I was alone he writes they were wrong for I was not alone the risen Christ was present in that room and in communion with him I was able to prevail you may feel alone today. Maybe this quarantine uh, keeps you from seeing folks and you feel alone. Let me remind you, if you belong to Christ, He is with you. The risen Christ is in that room, right where you are, right now. Your Lord, your Master, your best friend, the giver of peace and the giver of joy. Troubled. He's a very present help in time of trouble. 
the risen Lord. Now John is going to talk about Mary Magdalene as kind of the main character, human character in this scene. But I want to kind of remind you of the order of things on the first Easter morning. First of all, Christ arose, came up through his grave clothes and left them laying right where they were. And then an angel descended and rolled back the stone. And when the, when the Roman soldiers who were guarding the, the uh, tomb, when they saw this, this angel, they began to shake all over. And finally, from fear, they passed out because of fear and fell to the ground like dead men. Sometime after that, they woke up and went into the city to tell what had happened. Meanwhile, the ladies apparently, and this is, this I think helps us understand when you put all the Gospels together. There's a group of ladies coming to the tomb. Probably they agreed to meet at the tomb at the rising of the sun. The other Gospels mention the rising of the sun right here. John points out when Mary got there, it was still dark. So they were going to get there together uh, and meet. And Mary came a little early and was a little bit ahead of the group. And she gets there first and goes in and sees that the tomb is empty. She thinks they've stolen the body of the Lord Jesus. And she runs back to tell John and, uh, and Peter. Meanwhile, the other ladies get there about the rising of the sun and they see that too. But when they're there trying to figure out what's going on, an angel speaks to them and gives them the message. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And so they hurry away. Meanwhile, John and, and Peter, uh, having been uh, given the message by Mary Magdalene, they run back. And, uh, and they look inside and see the tomb is empty. They return home. Mary stays there and... Jesus appears to Mary for the very first appearance is to Mary Magdalene. Then he appears to those ladies who are still in their uh, journey back to the city. He appears to them. And then later in the day to Peter. And then later in the day to two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And then that night, Sunday night, he appears to the ten disciples Thomas being absent, and there were some other people there too. We know the two people from Emmaus was there, and probably some other of the disciples were there as well. So that's kind of what the order looks like. Now, as I said, John emphasizes uh, Mary Magdalene, that first one to see Jesus. So let's pick it up and look again in verse 1. The first day of the week, that's Sunday. From this day on, Christians worshipped on Sunday, the resurrection day, the first day of the week, the Lord's day as it's called in the New Testament. We don't worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Old Testament worship. The Lord's day is New Testament worship. And uh, we don't call Sunday the Sabbath. That's not really correct. Uh, Saturday is still the Sabbath. But Sunday is the Lord's day. And the day of the resurrection. So at this first day of the week on Sunday comes Mary Magdalene while it was yet dark. So she comes in the dark. The other gospels mention that those ladies arrive about the rising of the sun. Unto uh, the sepulcher and seeth that the stone uh, is taken away from the sepulcher. 
Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, that's John himself. John never calls himself by name in his gospel. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved or the other disciple. And so John's re retelling what happened to him. I mean, this is, this is him 60 years earlier. And uh, he says, uh, She told Simon and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Notice she uses the pronoun we. We know not. Apparently, when she left the tomb, she'd come across those ladies that were uh, approaching the tomb that she was supposed to meet there, and she told the story to them, what she had seen. And so she used the pronoun we. We don't know. Myself or the other ladies, we don't know what they've done with him. She had run through her mind the possibilities, and what she thinks happened is that someone has stolen the body. And uh, she wants to get the body back. Maybe she thought, you know, criminals were thrown into a burning garbage heap in the valley of Hinnah, outside of Jerusalem. That's what they would have done with the body of Jesus if Joseph of Arimathea hadn't gone to Pilate and requested the body and put Jesus in his own tomb. And so now she thinks maybe they've taken the body somewhere else and hidden it, or maybe they've thrown it in the burning garbage heap. She is heartbroken, heartbroken over it. Verse 3 says, Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. <laughs> no one else probably would have told that but John himself. No one would have remembered but John was the one running, you know. And so John remembers that he ran faster than Peter. Somebody has said Peter was probably more like a fullback and, uh, and uh, John was more like a halfback. But at any rate, he was faster for some reason. Maybe he was a few years younger. We don't know. But he got there faster uh, to this sepulcher. And they ran together, verse 4 said. And then verse 5, And he, uh, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. That's John. He's looking in. Verse 6, Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. So John's standing at the, at the opening, looking in of the tomb, and, and Peter comes right on by and goes inside. And then it says, And the napkin, not only saw the linen clothes, but the napkin that was about his head was lying with the linen clothes. He, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So it was somewhat separated from the rest of the wrappings, and it was still wrapped up. And uh, then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw, and he believed. Now, what did they see inside that empty tomb? They saw clothes... The clothes that had been, clothes is not a good word, the, uh, the material that had been wrapped around Jesus, preparing him for his burial. The Jews did not embalm. The Jews had kind of an uh, embalming from the outside. They put, 
They put uh, spices and, and things that smell good. They put those between the wrappings. So they'd wrap a little bit, put the spices on, wrap a little bit more and put the spicy, spices on. And, uh, and then the head piece was a separate piece from the body. It would be wrapped around and around like a turban that would come over the whole head and spices in it as well. So what did they see? They saw the clothes lying there, that is, the wrapping, still wrapped. If somebody had stolen the body, they would have had to have t taken a knife and cut those wrappings off. Or, or even more difficult, they would have had to have unwrapped all those wrappings, and that the wrappings would have all been thrown in a big pile. But they were not. They were still laying there, still wrapped. Still wrapped. Jesus had just come forth out of those wrappings. <laughs> and then his head, his headpiece, <coughs> his headpiece was still wrapped up in, and in a slightly different place. And that doesn't mean all the way across on the other side. It just means slightly separated from where the body was laying. You have the neck and then the head. And it was still all wrapped up like that. Can you imagine the way they felt? What they were pondering, what they were thinking about. John uses three different words for see, S-E-E, -E, or saw, in the Greek. They're all translated see or saw in our text, but he uses three different words. I think it's important. Not only did he use three different words, but more importantly, the Holy Spirit used three different words. Look back at verse 5. He stooped down and looking into inside saw. That Greek word is the word that just simply, plainly means to see something with your eyes. You don't even have to understand what you're seeing. You just see it with your eyes. That's what, that's what uh, the first word means when John looked inside. And then the, the second time it's used is in verse 6. And notice it says, And then Simon Peter, following him, went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. The second word is where we get our word in English, theater. It means to look at it with great interest. You know, if you're in a theater and somebody, they're putting on a play, you're caught up in that play. To look with great interest and great care. And then in verse 8 is the, the third time a word for see is used. It says that uh, the other disciple went in, and uh, which had come first to the sepulcher, verse, last part of verse 8, he saw and believed. This word saw is a different word in the Greek. It means to understand. It means to perceive with an intellectual comprehension. They looked and saw. They studied and saw. And finally, John could have said, I see it. I see it. I understand. Jesus had to have come forth out of those grave clothes. He saw. You and I will never see 
that experience that they had. Those first two words. But we can see with that last word, we can understand and know and see with our heart and mind and soul and comprehend with our intellect that Jesus rose from the dead. So they saw. And then notice, he saw and believed. What did he believe? Did he believe that Jesus was the Messiah? No, he's, he's believed that for three and a half years. He believed that Jesus rose from the dead. He believed. And then it says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Jesus had told them on several occasions, clearly, that he would die and rise again on the third day. He used the example of Jonah. And, uh, but they just had not comprehended it. It was, it was too hard to believe. Now they had seen at least three resurrections of other people. A, a young child, a young man, and Lazarus, an, an older man. Jesus had called them forth from the grave. They saw that, but they still had not wrapped their mind around Jesus' teaching that he was going to rise again from the dead. Verse 10 says, Then the disciples went away into their own home. <coughs> now he comes back to Mary Magdalene. But Mary stood. By the way, Mary Magdalene was was a follower of Jesus because he cast seven devils, demons out of her. She was demon-possessed and probably lived a very wicked, satanic life. But Jesus rescued her and cast the demons out. And she had a great love for Christ. I think it was that love for Christ that brought her there a little earlier than the other women. She wanted to be there alone for a few minutes. It, had, it was still dark. She was the only... Uh, uh, she wasn't the only woman, but she was uh, one of the only followers of Jesus that was at the cross. John being the only apostle, and, and Mary Magdalene, and then some of Jesus' relatives, his mother and, and his aunts, and so forth. She was at the foot of the cross, and now she's the first one on the morning of the resurrection. And she stood without, verse 11 says, the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked inside. The word weeping there can be translated wailing. It means to cry out loud. She wasn't just barely crying, she was sobbing. And she seeth two angels in white, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Had, past tense, no longer there. And they say unto her, woman, again, woman is a proper and, and uh, uh, appropriate greeting. It means dear lady. We might translate it dear lady. He said, woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not it was Jesus. Now, why did she not know Jesus? Maybe he supernaturally kept her from knowing like he did the, the uh, Emmaus believers. Or maybe he just had his back turned and she was crying and probably had her hands up on her face and was looking through tears and everything looked blurry. We don't know why for sure, but she did not 
recognize him. And uh, she's supposing him, or, or verse 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, again a, a tender term, Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? You know, Jesus never asks a question he doesn't know because he is omnipotent, omniscient. He knows everything. He asks it for our sake. And uh, who are, whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. Boy, when he spoke her name, she knew. He said to her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabona, which mean, which is to say, Master, Lord, Teacher. This is the greatest reveal in the history of mankind. Miss Karen likes to watch HGTV. And, and uh, you know, when they get to the end, they call it the reveal, where they've taken an old house and made it like new, and, and people, the people who own it or are buying it, they see it for the first time and so forth. They call it a reveal. Well, the second greatest reveal of, of all mankind was in the book of Genesis when, if you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and many years later his brothers come to Egypt to get help and Joseph had risen to the second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt and at first they didn't know him and he, he didn't allow them to know who he was and he had changed so much and they thought he was dead and Finally, after a series of events, finally he said unto his brothers, I am Joseph, your brother. Can you imagine how shocked they were? What? We sold you into slavery all of those many years ago? That was maybe the second greatest reveal. But here's the first. Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. He didn't reveal himself to Peter first nor to the Sanhedrin, nor to the uh, chief priest, nor to Caesar, nor to any political leader. The first person he reveals himself to is Mary Magdalene. That is very significant. Did you know that ladies in that day, women in that day, could not bear a witness in a court of law? They just were permitted to do so. And yet Jesus calls his first witness to his resurrection a woman. <laughs> a woman who before had lived a sinful life, but now she loved Jesus with all of her heart. I want you to know that Jesus will reveal himself to us if we'll love him with all of our heart. It doesn't matter what our past was like. It doesn't matter the failures we've, we have, um, we've made. He wants to reveal himself to us. It's interesting in chapter 10, Jesus had said, I know my sheep, I know, I know them by name. And I call them by name. And they know me and I know them. When he called her by name, she knew. What a moment that was. Can you imagine her excitement? Now remember, at this, at this point, she had no message that Jesus has risen from the dead. She thinks he's been stolen. The body had been stolen still 
until he reveals himself. Verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my, go to my brethren and say unto them. Now Jesus had first said his followers were servants. Then he called them friends. Now for the first time he calls them brethren. Because of the cross and the resurrection, you and I are brought into the family of God and Jesus is our brother. And God the Father is our personal father. So he says, go to my brethren. And notice what he says. And say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father and to my God and your God. There's some fascinating things here in this verse. He says, I don't touch me. Now, the verb there is in a sense that means continually. It has the idea of holding, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. Now, I don't think he was forbidding her from touching him. She probably fell at his feet and grabbed him around the legs and he couldn't move. Or maybe she grabbed him around the middle and he couldn't move his arms. Or maybe she was holding him by the hand and... And she wouldn't turn loose of his hand. She didn't want him to get out of her sight again. So he said, don't, don't keep holding me. Don't, don't keep clinging to me. Because I've got some things to do and so do you. That's the idea. So he says, I have not yet ascended to my father. Now, what about this ascending to my father? Now, we know that on the day of the cross, Jesus ascended into paradise into heaven because he told the thief today you will be with me in paradise so his body went into the grave but Jesus his spirit ascends up to the father in heaven and greets that that uh, sinner on the cross who had just been redeemed today you shall be with me in paradise now some scholars believe and this is a sermon for another time but some scholars believe that then he dis descended and uh, into Hades and proclaimed his victory there. And, uh, and, but I think what he's talking about here is he hasn't yet ascended after those 40 days. After he's going to be on earth for 40 days and 40 nights and talk and preach and teach. And after the 40 days he's going to descend. So he says, don't, don't hold on to me. I haven't ascended yet. Don't hold on because I've got... I've got things to do. I've got to go see other people, reveal myself to others, and you've got to go tell others yourself. And so he says, I have not yet ascended, but tell my brethren that I'm going to ascend. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that they had, she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Now we jump to Sunday night. What a holy time this is. Then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week. He points that out again. Sunday. The Lord's Day. The Resurrection Day. <clears throat> uh, the first day of the week. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. The doors were shut. In the Greek, that indicates they were locked. They had locked themselves in because they were fearful of the Jews. You know, there's a lot of people in our day who are really fearful. Some people are fearful regardless of what circumstances are going on, but others are, are particularly fearful right now because of the coronavirus. These, these men were fearful. And they really had good reason. If the authorities had crucified Jesus, they may decide to crucify them. 
this torturous, terrible death and public humiliation. They didn't want that. Plus now, this is the evening, now they've heard the rumors that, uh, you know, the body is missing and the guards were bribed to say the disciples of the Lord come and stole the body. So now they may be coming to them because they think they stole the body. So they're afraid. They're gathered in an upper room somewhere and they've locked the doors. And in that situation, Jesus comes in. He will come in your situation. What situation are you in? Alone, maybe. Locked away. Afraid. Fearful. And notice it says, The disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. (laughs) Now, they haven't seen Jesus yet. They don't know whether they believe the stories or not. Luke says they were terrified. I can, I can see that human reaction, can't you? <laughs> they don't know if they're seeing a ghost. Uh, they don't know. They're just fearful. This is a, a, a tremendous supernatural event they're witnessing. And they're fearful. Jesus says, peace be unto you. Now that's a normal greeting, but let's... Let's remember that Jesus would never waste any words. When Jesus says peace to you, he means it. Some people might say, how are you today? And they really don't mean it because if you start to tell them, they walk away. But when Jesus said peace to you, he meant it. Peace to you. He could have rebuked them. Think about it. He could have said, what is up? When I got arrested, all of y'all just ran. Or he might have said, while I was hanging on the cross in agony, only John was there. Where were the rest of you? He might have said to Peter, Peter, you denied me three times. It broke my heart. He didn't say any of that, did he? He said, peace be unto you. He knows all about our failures. But he loves us with an everlasting love and has compassion upon us. And he wants us to have peace in this life. So he says, peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side, where the the spear went in his side. And uh, then were the disciples glad. This word glad means extremely happy. Boy, they were then, now they're celebrating when they saw the Lord. So they went from fear to great joy. And then in those next three verses, I really could preach a series of messages on these next three verses, but I'm going to try to sum them up quickly for you. Verse 21, Then said Jesus unto them, Peace be unto you. He says it again. As though he doesn't want them to miss out on this peace. Remember, on Thursday, this is Sunday night, on Thursday he said to them, My peace... I give unto you. He said, peace I give unto you. My peace give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Now he's speaking that peace. He's the Lord of peace. He's the master of peace. He's the prince of peace. He's the giver of peace. And he speaks this peace to their hearts. He'll speak his peace to your heart. If you'll let him. If you'll trust him. If you'll ask him. He will speak that peace to your heart as well. There's two kinds of pieces. I have to say them very quickly in the Bible. One is peace with God. 
through the blood of the cross. We were enemies of God until the cross came and now we've been reconciled. We have peace with God, but then there's the peace of God, that is, peace that comes from God that permeates our heart and soul and causes tranquility of heart and soul. He says peace twice, emphasizing the two kinds of peace. So he says in verse 21, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Here's the commissioning of the church. He'll say it again in several places. But here's the commissioning. As the, as the Father sent the Son to reveal the truth and then die on the cross, so he has sent us to reveal the truth of the gospel and to die out to our own ambitions and to let Jesus be Lord of our lives. As the Father sent me, so have I sent you. Now, he's not just talking to the apostles. Remember, this is, there's some other people. There's some other disciples there, like those two men on the road to Emmaus. This is for all of us, me and you. We're to be a part of this. Jesus has sent us out to share the good news of the gospel and to share his love with a lost and hurting world. And then notice in verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean? Is this the baptism of the Spirit that John had talked about and Jesus had talked about? No. Forty days later, from this, from this time, the day of the resurrection, forty days later, Jesus said to, the, to his followers, Tarry in Jerusalem, for you will receive the promise, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not many days hence. So forty days later, the baptism of the Spirit was still future. Ten days future. Fifty days from this event was the day of Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and baptized believers into the body of Christ, into union with Christ. So you and I have been baptized into, the, into union with Christ and union with each other. That's the reason we're brothers and sisters in Christ. The baptism happens only once. When you get saved, now, the original baptism was on Pentecost, and now everybody that gets saved is baptized into the body of Christ. Well, was this then, was this seen, if it wasn't the baptism, was it the indwelling of Christ? I mean, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. No, not exactly. Again, on Thursday, Jesus had said, I will pray the Father, He will send you a comforter, another comforter, like unto me, and he will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Right now, Jesus said, he is with you, but then he shall be in you. The Holy Spirit came to indwell believers in the New Testament time, and he will indwell us forever. You don't have to ask to receive the Holy Spirit into your life. If you're a believer in Christ, he's already there. So what was this? I think it was a filling of the Holy Spirit. F-I-L-L-I-N-G. Filling of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to be empowered, enabled, and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. They had 50 days to go now before Pentecost would come. Jesus filled them with the Spirit. Old Testament people were filled with the Spirit. 
They were not baptized in the body of Christ, nor they, were, they did not have a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit would come up on and fill them for certain tasks. Now Jesus is filling them with the Holy Spirit. That word is used too, by the way, on the day of Pentecost. They were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of Acts, you see that reoccurring. It would say those same people were filled again with the Holy Spirit. The baptism is only once. The indwelling is only once. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is ongoing. If you don't let the Holy Spirit control you, then you need to be filled again. That's what Jesus did here. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. This can be life-changing for someone. He filled them. Ephesians 5.18, by the way, commands us to be filled with the Spirit. All of us, every believer, a command, an imperative to be filled with the Spirit. Not all believers are filled with the Spirit. And then notice the word breathe. He breathed on them. In the Septuagint, which is where the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures were translated into Greek. The Greek word here is the same as the Greek word that was used in the Septuagint to translate Genesis 2-7. Do you remember it where it says, <clears throat> God made man from the dust of the earth... And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. God breathed physical life into a lump of clay. Jesus here breathed spiritual life into his followers. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. By the way, the word breathe here is not the normal word for breathe. It's only used one time in the New Testament and that's right here. This is a holy moment. A holy moment. It means more than just our normal breathing. It means to blow or to puff or to breathe with a distinct purpose. It might have been something like this. He breathed on them. And when he did... They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. What a moment. This text is very personal to me. I was called to preach about 40, 45 years ago, I guess. I've been a believer now for 50 years. And I, I knew what a failure I was. And I was not a public speaker, never have been. And so I was studying the Scripture. I knew I needed to be filled with the Spirit. And I'd studied all the Scriptures about it and so forth. And I was praying and seeking God and so forth. And this particular passage, God used. And so I, I began to visualize me bowing before the Lordship of Christ and asking Him, trusting Him to breathe upon me the fullness, the filling of the Holy Spirit in that moment. And I've been doing that now for 40 plus years. Every day, throughout the day, I visualize that. Jesus breathing on me 
Jesus breathing on you to fill you, empower you, enable you, control you by the Holy Spirit. It can be life-changing. Look at verse 23. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Wow, what a difficult verse. At first reading, it looks like the apostles, and not just the apostles, but the other people gathered in that room, the church as such has authority to forgive people's sins. Nothing could be further from the truth, of course. Only God can forgive sin. Revelation 1, 5 says, Now unto Him, Christ, now unto Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Only Jesus can do that. So what does this mean? I've got to move quickly. I've let my time slip away. Look, at, look back to your screen. I'm going to let a couple of Greek scholars help us understand this. The Greek scholar, Julius uh, Manti, says... It should be, or it is, this translation reads in the Greek, Whosoever sins you remit or forgive shall have already been forgiven them. And whosoever sins you retain do not forgive, they shall have already not been forgiven them. It's the tenses in the, in the verbs that give this understanding. And then he kind of explains. In other words, the disciples did not provide forgiveness, they proclaimed forgiveness based on the basis of the message of the gospel. Dr. Wiest says, it translates it, they have been previously forgiven them. And then Dr. Ryrie, the great scholar, says, since only God can forgive sin, the disciples and the church are here given the authority to declare that God, to declare what God does when a man either accepts or rejects his son. In other words, today I've been given the authority to say to you, if you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, He will forgive your sins. I have the authority to say to you that what Hebrews chapter 10 says, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I have the authority to say to you what Psalm 103 says. When you come to Christ, our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. You know, the east keeps going, the west keeps going. They, they never meet. For eternity, that's how far away our sins. And, and Micah chapter 7 says, Our sins are cast into the depths of the sea, the deepest places of the sea, away from us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse... 7 says, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. If you trust Christ, I have the authority to say to you, your sins are forgiven. But if you don't trust Christ as Lord and Savior, I have the authority to say to you, your sins are not forgiven. They're retained. You still have them. You're still guilty of them. You can have forgiveness today. Now we're going to watch a little four-minute video to kind of put, again, I'm reminding you, these were real people. These were real events. They really happened. Let's watch this four-minute clip. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, 
Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They've taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture which said that he must rise from death. Then the disciples went back home. Mary stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb. And saw two angels there, dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been. One at the head, the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. They have taken my Lord away. And I do not know where they have put him. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who was it that you were looking for? She thought he was the gardener, so she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. She turned toward him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni. This means teacher. Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet gone back up to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to him who is my father and their father, my God and their God. So Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and related to them what he had told her. It was late that Sunday evening and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Then Jesus came, stood among them. Peace be with you. After saying this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. 
breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What a scene. Have you been forgiven? Are your sins washed away as far away as the east is from the west? Are you redeemed by the blood of Christ, even the forgiveness of sin? You can be. Jesus is alive right now, today, this morning. And He's still saving. He's still forgiving sinners. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you pray this prayer and mean it, then claim God's promise. Your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Bow with me. Wherever you are, bow with me. And if you've never received Christ or if you're not sure, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, Thou risen Christ, I know I have sinned and I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And right now, in this moment in time, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I call on you to forgive my sin and give me a home in heaven. I open my heart, my life to you, Lord Jesus. Come in. Wash away my sin. Be my Savior and Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into my life and forgiving me like you promised you would do. I rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen.